0: Two. Thanks for joining us in your homes, around your tables, or in your small groups in our church-wide study, Promises Kept, the whole story of the Bible. This is part one of chapter three, Covenant Made.
1: So let's start right there. You said covenant. What is a covenant? Well, it is the most solid kind of promise that there is. And a covenant is different than a contract. Uh, a contract is an agreement that the parties can break, and then they just follow the procedures on the agreement for payments or compensation.
0: Like breaking your phone contract. You can do that if you want to, no big deal, other than you just have to pay.
1: Right, but a covenant on the other hand is based on a perpetual promise and therefore cannot be said to be broken or canceled. Well, today we get to see the first one of these ever made, the first covenant in Genesis chapters 12 and 21.
0: And as we do, here's a recap of the story so far. God created a kingdom. He is the king, and he made human beings to represent him in that kingdom. Adam and Eve rejected this call, which led to sin and death. But God promised to defeat the serpent through the seed of the woman.
1: Right, so last time ended with a glimmer of hope.
0: Right, from what God said to the serpent, that he'd be crushed one day by the seed of the woman, which we saw in the New Testament pages is the Lord Jesus Christ. But today, we jump back into the Old Testament, picking back up in Genesis chapters 12 and 21. And we're looking to see...
1: Yeah, we're looking to see how does God begin to make good on this promise. Uh, This promise of the offspring of a woman coming to defeat the serpent. And that's where we encounter this idea of covenant. God's promise will begin to unfold through a very specific means, a very precise promise, a covenant. And here we meet a man named Abram, also later called Abraham. Abraham. So let's look at Genesis 12, verses 1 to
0: 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now Abram, as we first meet him, is a really righteous man, right? Uh,
1: Well, uh, no, no. Uh, Before we wonder what made Abram so great, let's be clear, it wasn't for him being such a holy or noble man that God called him and made this great promise to him. There was nothing particularly worthy about Abraham for this call. If we backtrack a few verses into the end of chapter 11, what we find is that Abram was living as as a pagan idolater in a pagan city, Ur of the Chaldees. Uh, this is who Abram was when God called him and made a covenant with him. So here was Abram going about his, his pagan life in Ur and God calls him to a completely new way of life.
0: So it was the grace of God and the call of God that set Abram apart. He had nothing in him that made him deserving of this call. God chose him, plucked him out of darkness and poured his grace on him. And so it is the same for you and for me or any Christian, isn't it? It is God, God's call of grace, of the gospel of Christ that he brings to us in our unworthiness and sets us apart from a broken and wicked world. In my own story, it's so obviously his grace. I was not seeking him. I was living in rebellion towards him when he rescued me. I was undeserving and ill-deserving when he opened up my eyes and saved me. While I was yet a sinner, yet weak and ungodly, yet sinning against him, Christ died for me. It was pure grace for God to call each and every one of us, just as it was the grace of God, to call Abram and to set him apart.
1: And so God appeared to him and gave him the most amazing promises. And we can summarize this promise into two main parts. Abraham, I'm going to bless you to become a great nation and to bless you to become a great blessing to the nations. So, okay, if we were to pull a bunch of people in our city and, and, and ask them, what would it take to make a great nation? Uh, what kind of answers would we probably get?
0: Probably great laws, great leaders, great economic system, great military. Those would be the likely ingredients. But here's the thing. None of these things are going to ever happen without what?
1: Uh, well, without people and without land.
0: Right, to be, to be a great nation, you need a good chunk of land and pretty good amount of people. And guess what? Abram had neither of these things.
1: Yeah, as far as land, uh, he was a nomad, not a homeowner. He had some livestock and some wealth, but no land of his own. And that's one thing that God promises him, to take him to a land to be a great nation in that land. And as far as people, well that was his other problem. He didn't have any of his own. He had some servants, but not one offspring. In Genesis 11.30, it mentions that Abram's wife Sarai, later Sarah, was barren. And at this point, Abram is about 75 years old, Sarah is about 65 years old. It's not the vigorous range of childbearing years, right? Right. Uh, So this is not just a great promise, but it's an audacious promise. You know, I dare say, humanly humanly speaking, a ridiculous promise. Uh, Here we have a homeless, childless, idolatrous old man. He would not be a good candidate, not even on our radar, really, as somebody through whom God's promise to crush the head of the serpent would be fulfilled. Mm.
0: And what we see here and all over the Bible is that God's call is not only gracious, it is surprising. He often calls unlikely people and to work in unlikely ways to accomplish his purposes. God stepped into Abram's life in marvelous ways to overcome these obstacles. And he would do the same in our lives too, but we must respond to him like Abram. How did Abram respond? Verse four, so Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Wow, at 75, he picks up, leaves everything he's ever known. Here we have a picture of faith, true biblical faith. We see that faith knows a few things. What does faith know?
1: Well, I think the first thing we see is that faith knows that God's call comes with authority. Uh, Again, verse 4, so Abram went as the Lord had told him. Uh, What do we see? simply that God speaks and Abram obeys. As God spoke to him, he understood that God is a sovereign God who who calls people to himself with authority. Mm -hmm. He didn't didn't reinterpret God's words as as saying, uh, Abram, if if you would like a happier life, you, you might try moving here to Canaan. No, he understood that when God spoke, God commanded, go forth from your country. And from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. It was a command and it demanded a response. Mm. And Abram would have been in disobedience to the sovereign God if he had not obeyed. And again, that's true with us. God's word is not up for negotiation. Mm. What he plainly reveals were to plainly follow. So that's the first thing that faith knows, that, that, that God's call comes with authority. What else does it know?
0: Faith also knows that God's call often requires difficulty. There's no doubt about it. Abraham's call would be intensely difficult to follow. He was established in his community. He had much extended family around him, and he was 75. God could have said, Abraham, I am choosing you. Continue to work where you are. I'll bless you and work through you here. I'll further my purposes here, and you can continue to enjoy your community and your family. But that is not what God said. God's call involved faith and trust and obedience. God told him to leave all that was familiar, leave his extended family, go to an unknown destination. This would not be easy for us. We like to check the websites, to see the new places, check the weather patterns, the activities in the area, the housing prices, to, to plan ahead. God didn't show Abraham where he was going, though.
1: Yeah, sometimes we think or hope that the call of God will be really easy, uh, that it'll be it'll be full of open doors that we just walk right through. But God's call does involve difficulties. And when we speak of God's call here, let's be clear. We're not just referring to some special people uh, who are, you know, the few chosen people that are called to be ministers or pastors, but rather even God's call of salvation to every believer, his call could result in rejection, persecution, persecution.
0: Right? And it involves bringing all of our belongings, our families, our monies, our future, under the lordship of Christ. It requires obedience to the word of God when sometimes it's easier and brings instant gratification to disobey. It is seeking God's glory, God's kingdom, and God's will in every decision, and not our own. And the third thing...
1: Yeah, the third thing that um, faith knows is that God's call requires faith in God and in his word, right?
0: Right, the only way you can follow God's call is by taking God at his word. This is summed up in verse four. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. If we have faith, we like Abram, listen to the voice of God when it comes into our lives. We hear the word of God uh, written in the Bible, also the spoken word of God in preaching. Faith is a definite is trust in a definite object, God and His Word.
1: Yeah, it's not just faith in anything, it's faith in God and in what God says, His Word. Well, maybe some application here. What does that look like practically in our lives? If we were in Abraham's shoes, what would we find to be the most difficult thing to leave? Uh, Would it be our extended families, our possessions, our career, our comforts, our beautiful surroundings?
0: You know, Brent, the first question of this chapter was, what would persuade you to move from your family, your friends, and country? And we've both done that in our lives. Uh, You left your country and family to come to seminary and work in the U.S., and I left my country and family and friends to come to Canada. And early on in our lives, I think this is easy or easier, but Abraham was 75, and I think that as you get older, it becomes harder to pick up and leave everything you've ever known. This does not make it okay to disobey. If God calls, we should answer. Nothing should keep us from obeying the call of God or it is an idol in our life. I just think that as we become older, one would need abundant clarity on this call because it is much harder to pick up and leave when you are Abraham's age or when you're rooted in a place. But that didn't stop him. And we can praise the Lord that he followed and obeyed.
1: That's right. Well, the story goes on and the the years roll on. And... You know, at times, the Lord does reiterate his promise to Abraham. Uh, But guess what? Uh, The couple remains childless. Sarah, Abraham's infertile wife, is now in her 90s, and God's promise of children seems even more impossible than ever. And then it's here that we come to Genesis 21, 1-7. The Lord visited Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac, which means laughter. You know, that's a very fitting name for this story. But notice in those verses the emphasis in verse 3 that this child was his son born to Abraham. And it says, born to uh, whom Sarah bore to him. Uh, over and over again, God is emphasizing, make no mistake, this child belongs to Abraham and Sarah. It is the, it is the child of the promise.
0: Hmm. Praise the Lord that he fulfills his promises. As impossible as they might seem, God is able to do abundantly, exceedingly beyond all that we ask or imagine. Like even giving a 90-year-old woman a child. It was through her son Isaac and his continued lineage that they'd become a great nation, Israel. But it would take a while to grow into a nation. In the rest of Genesis, we meet Abraham's Abraham's family. And while God had told Abraham land was a part of the blessing, the land from the Nile to the Euphrates, this too would take an even longer while. It would be hundreds of years, but they would finally get the land. The promise was secure. God would bless his people in the place he said he would, and they would become a blessing.
1: And so what we see with that is that God fulfills his promises, but it may not always be as quick as we like. And now we come to this most incredible promise that part of the promise that God makes to Abraham. Remember, God says, not only will you be blessed, Abraham, but the second part was, the whole world will be blessed through you. Uh, This is amazing. This is unbelievable. The whole world? How could this be? Well, God's plan was way bigger than Abraham. It was bigger than establishing just a nation God's great reversal plan for this problem of sin was going to start with Abraham's family. And through Abraham's family, one would come who would crush Satan, sin, and death. One would come who would reverse the curse.
0: Right. Galatians 3.8 says, And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations shall be blessed in you. And so here is the incredible news that Jesus Christ would be born to Abraham's descendants, that he would save not just Israel, but he would save people from every nation, tribe and tongue from our sins through faith.
1: It is amazing. But let's have one last question here. So far in the story, people have messed up. So what would keep Abraham and his family from messing up the same way that Adam and Eve did? And here we turn to Genesis 15 for a really strange but crucial event. Genesis 15, let's pick up in verse 8. But he said, Abraham said, O Lord, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it, the land? And, And he said to him, God said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all of these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. Now what is going on here? This may look really bizarre to a lot of us today, but it would not have been bizarre in that ancient world. This is an old-fashioned uh, fashioned covenant-making ceremony. All of these animals are brought, and they are cut in half, and they're lined up into two lines. And it was common for the two partners of a covenant to sacrifice and to divide up the animals, just as we see here. And the next thing that would happen is that the two partners would walk between those two lines of animals together. And this was a way of saying, if I don't live up to my end of the covenant, then may I be like these animals. Let it be upon me to be slaughtered just like this.
0: So again, a covenant is serious, binding business. This covenant would be made at a price, the blood of a sacrifice. Now, here's the astonishing thing in Genesis 15. Whereas the common practice was for two people to walk through the line of animals together, God walked through the animals alone. Verse 17, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. I love this. You know, this used to be our son Zachariah's favorite story when he was younger. He used to set up his stuffies in two lines. Thankfully, he didn't cut them in half. Yeah. And... <laughs> and talk about God walking through as a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch. You know, it's an amazing story, and it is significant that God actually put Abraham to sleep. God had no intention of letting Abraham walk through this with him. God was going to walk through and fulfill both sides of the covenant no matter what. God was making it unmistakably clear that he would fulfill this covenant.
1: So let's think of this, uh, the promises of Genesis 12 Uh, to make Abraham a great nation, land, and people, and and the obligation to take a blessing to all the nations of the earth, here we see that God was binding his own fate with that of Abraham's seed. We're going to see how this story continues to unfold. Ultimately, this will result in, in, in God putting himself on the line to accomplish this, which would be his own son on a cross to ultimately fulfill this covenant. This is an amazing story, but how does it all relate to our lives here and now in 2020? Well, I think the first one is, let's say, waiting. Abraham was in a time of waiting. We too are in a time of waiting, waiting for many things, waiting for this pandemic to be over, waiting to meet again as a church body in person, but in an even greater sense, we are waiting for God's promises to come to fruition, just like Abraham. We're waiting for Christ's return. We are waiting for Christ to come and make all things right and to make all things new. So what are we called to do in this time of waiting?
0: Yeah, The, the second application would be we're called to trust and to obey. We have the same call as Abraham to trust or believe and obey. We believe the promises that God has set forth in his word and we obey his call. We are justified the same way that Abraham was justified. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He believed God's promise and God said, you are righteous. And it's the same with us. We are declared righteous by faith. And the reality of our faith is shown and seen in obedience. Jesus is the source of eternal salvation for all Who obey him.
1: Yeah, that's Hebrews 5 9. Well, another way this relates to our lives here and now is this eternal implications. Abraham's promise had a long road to fulfillment. You know, Abraham would actually never see it all happen. But it is so good for for our instant gratification culture that we live in, Uh, good for us to see that we live for a reality and a blessing that we may never all see in this lifetime. Hebrews eleven thirteen 13 says that all of these died in, died in faith, not having received the, the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged, them, uh, acknowledged that, that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. They desired a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared for them a city. And here we're just challenged to have that eternal perspective. Here we are tested. Will we live simply for this life or will we live for the next? Will we store up treasures on earth or in heaven? Will we invest our time and talents for earthly glory and heavenly glory? So how else, Lauren, can this relate to us?
0: Number four, this covenant gives us hope and encouragement. Hebrews chapter six, verses eighteen and nineteen say, "God did not, God did this. He made this covenant, this oath, the way that He did, so that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. So we can be greatly encouraged because." What God promises, he will fulfill. God does not lie. We cling to his covenant promises because they are for us.
1: Amen. So God's covenant with Abraham is the beginning of his great reversal plan that he will accomplish no matter what. So may this be a great encouragement to your faith at home. God will finish what he started. His promises never fail. We have a hope that anchors our soul and it is Christ. We will hear more about this next time.
0: As we continue in our study through Promises Kept, the whole story of the Bible, please join us in two weeks. This podcast comes out every second Friday. Join us as we dive into the second half of chapter three, Covenant Made. May God bless you in Christ. We'll see you next time.